0: Good morning. It is morning. Uh oh. It's too high. Come with me in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 15. Those of you who were at the program uh, thing on Friday realize he preached from this, different preach. Uh, I've been just overwhelmed all morning with the sense of God's presence and his love and just... Uh, full of tears, and realized, I kept thinking, okay, Lord, am I just tired? Am I excited about going to see the kids? Or is it just you? And it really is just him. Uh, Which makes what I want to share with you a bit strange. But it's something that Jesus said, and uh, I think it's key for us It was something God spoke to me this last week, but it's key for us going forward. Uh, So, let's open our heart to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're the one who leads us in truth. Thank you for your presence today. Thank you that we have access right to your very throne room. And that we're, because of what you've done, and we thank you for that. We open our hearts to you to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a quote. It's not the Bible. It's Theodore Roosevelt, who was the president of the U.S. And he said this in 1910 at a symposium about uh, democracy, actually. But it so applies. When I was young, I was part of scouting and it was one of the main goals and quotes of scouting, which it isn't anymore. But if you if you got really good eyesight, you could read that. But I'm going to read it, and you can follow along. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. Whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement. And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. It's not the critic who counts. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. From verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he spoke this parable to them, saying, Stop there for a second. He's speaking to the Pharisees. The to them refers to this subject that was immediately before, which is the Pharisees. So we often see this as a message to the lost, but he's actually talking to the Pharisees. Let me give you a little bit of background. Over in chapter 13, uh, in verse 14, here Jesus is uh, loosed a loosed woman from an, her infirmity. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath. He got so focused on the process that he missed the point. Chapter 14. Jesus kind of is making the point, verse 34 and 35, which just precedes what we read. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he goes into these parables. One other scripture just in the background. I want you to to get this. Matthew chapter 16. Again, situation where they were criticizing him. In verse 6. And Jesus said to them, take heed... And beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Take heed and beware. The Pharisees, as we just saw, had reduced Judaism to externals. You had to do things in the right way at the right time. And somehow, they'd forgotten about the heart. So into that background, Jesus tells these three stories, these three parables, and they all go together. They're building to get to the point that he's making. So verse four, what man of you, he's speaking to the Pharisees, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, will not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. He's actually saying to them, you guys are the 99. And you're missing the point. One in a hundred. It goes on, verse eight. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Are you getting the story here? gone from one in a hundred to one in ten. And the story is this, even though the coin was lost, it was out of place, its value hadn't changed. And she looked for it because it was still valuable. God's heart is looking for people, even though they're far away, their value to him doesn't change. If you don't know him, if you're out of relationship with him, your value to him hasn't changed. We need to see people in that light. And then he tells the story. All that's leading up to this. The parable of the lost sons. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with wasteful living. When he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the paws that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, "'How many of my father's hired servants "'have bread enough and despair, "'and I perish from hunger? "'I will arise and go to my father, "'and will say to him, "'Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. "'I am no longer worthy to be called your son, Make me like one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great ways off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again, he was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. That's usually where we stop, because we talk about being the lost one, but that's all the setup for Jesus' message. That's not the message. That's showing God's heart toward the lost. But then he gets into what he wanted to say. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has, re- he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. He answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at that time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I could make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf, For him, what's he saying? He's basically saying, look, I'm pretty good. I'm actually better than that guy. He said to him, son, you're always with me and all I have is yours. It was right. That we should be merry, should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. He's speaking to the Pharisees. Let me just give you a couple thoughts. The yeast or the leaven of Phariseeism creeps in. When we, when we become critical of the process and the methods and forget the goal. Right. Now you say, why are you saying that? Because Friday night, about 250 young people responded to an invitation. About half of them were first time, but the other half were commitments to follow Jesus. And while we're driving home, I was thinking, I would have done this differently. I didn't like that part. Why did they do that? And as we drove down uh, Country Club Avenue near the casino, they had something going on and there were fireworks going off. And God just spoke to my heart. You missed the point. Heaven's celebrating. People have gotten saved, and you're critical of the process. I wouldn't have said it like that. I wouldn't have done it like that. Sorry, I'm I'm exposing my carnality. It's so easy for us to fall into criticism. I heard someone, a number of weeks ago, question, how come there's so much money is spent on this celebration? And my thought, it, my thought was, what else would you spend it on? People's eternity has been transformed. Years ago, Mary and I were part of planning a church in Denver, Colorado. And another church in America gave us some money designated for the, the launch, uh, which, if you understand the laws in America, designated money has got to be used for what it's designated for. And we spent some time as a small team praying, God, how do we reach unre- unsaved people? You know, we could take the money, and we could send out letters to everyone in the community and let them know a church is coming, but unsaved people are just going to throw it away. And you know, then the only people you get are disgruntled Christians. And uh, we thought, how do we reach unsaved people? So we thought, okay, rather than do that, we're gonna take this money, and we're gonna buy a motorcycle and give it away. Some of you are going, what? <laughs> we spent about eight grand on a motorcycle. Harley Davidson. Really cheap one. The states, yeah, that's not a and we gave it away, and we got criticized around the world. <laughs> that's not a prize. <laughs> oh, sorry. We had someone from Southern Africa criticize and say, "You know, you could have taken that money and and bought, put a roof on a on a church in somewhere in Africa." And I guess you could have, except that it was illegal. But 15 people gave the heart to the Lord that week. We could have sent out letters, but people got saved. See, it's so easy for us to slip over into the criticism of how things were done. The music was too loud. Too many flashy lights. That's all us old folks. But the point is, Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. When we become critical of those who are actually in the arena doing something, we become the critics. Why is that important? For a couple of reasons. For the sake of the kingdom, will we have grace for those who do things differently than we do? There's a reason why we do what we do, there's a reason why we worship the way we worship. But we can become critical and say, ah, others are lesser, we're better. And pretty soon we think we're the answer. Let me tell you, we're never the answer, Jesus is. A better church isn't the answer, Jesus is. I'm right at the edge here. <laughs> All these guys are afraid they're going to have to catch me as I fall over. This week we had the privilege of hearing a kindergram. Will's uh, wife, just share something. Uh, with some some leaders. And one of the things she said really hit me. And she was talking about the city of Antioch. And how the gospel got to Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. After Rome and Alexandria. They say it was anywhere from 200 to 500,000 people. So it's a big city. At the time that... Acts was written, it was probably between 250 and 300,000 people. But it was a terrible place. Yet people took the gospel there. Why? Because they got persecuted in Jerusalem. And they had to leave. And they ended up in Antioch. And they began to share the gospel in this terrible place. It was divided. I mean, literally, people were... It was known for its riots, so much so that... They had walls that separated groups of people. Certain sections so that they wouldn't kill each other. I mean, we think we have division. We do. But that was even worse. Yet something happened as these Christians came in. And they began to live Jesus. Not just talk about Jesus... Live Jesus. How do I know that? Because it's the first place they were called Christians, which literally means anointed ones. We think, oh, they're called after Jesus. They weren't called Jesusites. They were called little Jesuses. We've become so used to the word Christ being attached to Jesus as a last name, where it actually meant Jesus the anointed one. And so when they say they were anointed ones, Christians, they were anointed ones. They impacted the community. And some historians say that up to 50% of the people in Antioch became followers of Jesus. That's, depending on the, the population, one hundred twenty-five to 150,000. Why is that important? Because that's what I believe God wants to do here. My belief has been 50% of Launceston coming to Jesus. But if we become Pharisees and become critical of everyone else who's part of the kingdom, then we become part of the problem and not part of the solution. If we exalt Jesus, we can be in unity with anyone else who exalts Jesus even if they do things differently. I loved the last couple of nights because the message has been the gospel and coming to Jesus. It has been so evident that what the Bible says is true. That when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God. The gospel's the power of God for salvation. Not the preaching is the power of God. Not the communication is the power of God. No, the gospel itself is the power of God. And so we can be allies for the sake of the kingdom. So I wanna ask you, will you have grace for those who do things differently? Take a moment and think about that. Those who worship differently. See, our unity isn't based around our doctrine. It's based around Jesus. Our unity isn't based around how we worship. It's based around Jesus. Our unity isn't based on anything else but him. In the midst of God doing something. I loved what Matt said, that God isn't, hasn't just moved, he's moving. We've been praying for months that this would be not the end, but part of the process of God raising the level of the anointing of his presence in the city so that we see tens of thousands of people get saved. I actually think what God was speaking into my heart is that we're not going to see the uh, totality of what, what he wants to do if we get critical and forget the, the main thing, the importance. About 125 young people came to know Jesus for the first time. That's the main thing. Another 125 rededicated their life. So many people chirp around the edges. And that's Jesus' message to the Pharisees. You're getting focused on the wrong thing. The son who was lost is found. Sorry. I told you. So what does this mean for us? One, as Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, in yourself and in others. Don't embrace it in other people as well. If people start questioning why someone does something, if it's exalting Jesus, let's just get the focus back on Jesus. And the second thing, we believe that an awesome God can use imperfect people. See, the thing is, none of us are perfect. And as soon as we start criticizing others, we're actually saying, I'm better. But we're not. We think we might understand some things differently. Oh, yeah, our theology's better. But it's not. We're still imperfect people that God wants to use. Yeah. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. I've asked them if we could finish with a song, Thank You Jesus for the Blood Applied. I was singing that this morning, and it just hit me. We can't get critical of others when we remember what God's done for us. His grace has redeemed me. Not my actions, not my perfection. So we're gonna sing this together and just let it be a reminder, let it be a celebration for what he's done that we can come into his presence but also to keep us on track. (laughs) Watch out for the leaven. If you're here this morning and you haven't met Jesus, we'd love to introduce you to him as we sing this. We'd love to. Wonderful thing about his presence, as we've heard, is he he heals, he restores, he removes the weight. We had a ministry time afterwards last week and there were a number of people who told me that they had literally weights of sorrow that were removed and so let's uh, as we're reminded of who he is and what he's done in us keep our focus that we don't allow the leaven of criticism to come in that doesn't mean that we don't debrief about things and don't look at how we can do better But, but We only debrief about the things we're doing, okay? Not about what everyone else is doing. If it's too loud, you're too old. Huh? If it's too loud, you're too old. (laughs) Rob Rob did tell me this morning, he determined years ago, he was never going to be one of those people who said it was too loud. So, where'd you stand?